Today, Sunday, March 25th, Block Digest is bringing you the power inside of Bitcoin at block height 515,125. Today with Mr. Rick. What's up, brother? Got JW in the lineup today. Come on, let that power out, JW. Oh my God, kill me. Kill me now. <laughs> Janine, are you amped up with the power inside of Bitcoin? I mean, I, I should have I should have thought of a German thing to say because that would sound metal, but no, I don't have anything prepared. Come on, Ak. Is, is the power inside of you? Oh, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> you just got cut off. His, his, his power was so big, it, it cut out his mic. <laughs> okay, well... It's it's not on the show notes, but I like we have to have to go into the the Satoshi's Vision Conference a bit before we get to the stuff. <laughs> yeah, man. Like I was saying, you, you mean I would got in late with lack of vision. We have to address the lack of vision. <laughs> yeah, honestly, if if somebody has the entrance clip of CSW, like uh, you just you got to see like the visual of everybody clapping. Uh, yeah. it is, oh, yeah. it is so freaking it. cult. Like it is yeah, just like, unreal. It's the sinking thing. Like if it was a normal applause, yeah, then that would be a good thing. But I did, uh, I went to a meetup last night, so I caught the tail end of it a little intoxicated, but I was still able to decipher that it, it was pretty ridiculous. The whole first question is, uh, answer response was, I don't give a shit. So <laughs> I don't know. That's like a pretty, uh, I don't know. It's a pretty hard stance to take on all this stuff it's just i don't know he's such an aloof it's a it's always a funny thing to watch yeah seriously nothing's going to describe what we're dealing with better than that clip you should totally play yeah. it janine just threw it in the box the, the, like if you can't if you can't just feel like the cult's weird awkwardness right it's like ugh, it's it's so bad yeah yeah hold on hold on hold on my my clipboards all right so as crazy. he's bringing it up just notice how many people like don't want to clap in sequence all right here we go oh we have no audio so this guy's like he's in the front and he's making everybody clap in sequence he's looking at him like you gotta clap and people are awkwardly agreeing to clap in sequence and then csw comes in the back of the room and literally runs down and uh like he's at the Royal Rumble, you know, he's about to jump in the ring. Oh my gosh, that's so so <laughs> bad. Wow. No, 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 it's a scam. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was gonna come up and do like a hey, hey, hey. <laughs> it it really is like a really bad sort of uh televangelist thing going on. That's that's pretty much what we're looking at. Yeah, and I don't know. The thing that really kind of bugs me about it, the whole thing is like we were saying, it's just so easy to veer people off in the woods of what we're discussing here. And it just seems like that happens so much in these presentations with Craig. And yeah, like, and I... Ah, sorry. <laughs> uh, I also want to point out... What? <laughs> I said if I start, I'm going to ramble for a bit, so go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I also I also just want to point out if um you, if anyone in the audience hasn't watched our last episode, we showed a tweet from him, uh Craig Wright, fake Satoshi, last week, um, where he said that there is no cryptography in Bitcoin. This is the man who is, you know, the star attraction of this event. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but oh my god, like the the level of nonsense at this conference. Okay. Um, Eamon Gunsire is going to do fiber networks for blockchains as a business. Um, I don't know how he's going to do it as a business because right now the fiber network that the Bitcoin network depends on is literally being supported at a loss. So um, how he's going to come in with something being operated at a loss and somehow monetize it and turn it into a business, I have no idea. And I don't think he does either. Um, <laughs> like, you know, Craig's presentation was just complete and utter lunacy. Like he literally said, he literally said, in order to stop double spends, they're going to connect into merchant security cameras and catch video of you trying to double spend and sign it cryptographically and then hand it over to the police. <laughs> I mean, Roger, Roger pretty much accused Blockstream and Bitcoin Core of being government agents to, to like trying to disrupt Bitcoin. Like his words were like, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that they're, they're government agents attempting to disrupt Bitcoin. But if you think about it, they're doing exactly what you would do if they were. <laughs> like this, like this yeah. whole thing is just a nut show. <laughs> that doublespin, I didn't hear him talk about it other than like that was the question, I think, that he said that he didn't give a, you know, a crap about. It was just like uh, was the uh, was the whole question about a doublespin problem. And he was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't give a shit. It's just like what, <laughs> like, like, uh, what, isn't this whole system like supposed to solve one of that ba that major problem? Yeah, I mean, has yeah, that it been a talking thing. point for a year or two at this point, like two, three years now. Like, wow, it's another thing. There were two separate presentations looking at the success rates of zero comp uh, double spends, and hey, guess what? They happened. They they happened at some time on the range of like you know up to twenty percent of the time despite everybody out there saying it's impossible to double spend it's totally safe to use and, and the question rick is referring to is peer resume of all people asked craig how a miner would even know which transaction was a double spend if you could convince them not to mine double spends and, and to that craig went i don't give a fuck <laughs> Yeah, that's like just such a brash way of like being a human being. And I mean, like you're supposed to be Satoshi, which like came up with this really novel system. And, you know, like, I, I don't know. To me, it's like he just is such a I don't know. He's such a goof. I mean, like he really is. Like I, he started talking about hooker coin at one point. I, I just like, you know, at start, certain points, I'm like, I don't take this guy seriously. It's just unfortunate that we have new rounds of people that get that wording of like, well, this is Satoshi and they start taking him seriously. And then he runs off in the woods like this with them. Yeah. His argument with the, with the hooker coin thing, he, he's like, his example was if there was hooker coin and it was more private than Bitcoin, that nobody would use hooker coin because it was called hooker coin. Like, uh, and that, that is just like so disconnected from reality. If there was a token out there that was just as, as as like useful just as valuable like just as widely accepted as bitcoin except it was called hooker coin and it was more private um and bitcoin wasn't private yeah people are probably going to be using hooker coin um 
<laughs> nobody who who cares about their privacy is going to give a shit what the coin is called. <laughs> and maybe maybe it's a coin for fishing enthusiasts. They'll get confused and think it's for fishermen. Right, it's the, it's the angler coin, hooker coin. We gotta make that yeah. differentiation or, there. Or Captain Hook. It's like coin for pirates. <laughs> coin for no. Peter Pan. Seriously, though, who would have possibly imagined that we would be here? Right, like the, a new uh, a new thing is invented, a database that's like totally trustworthy, um, that doesn't have any third parties that you have to rely on, and uh, and and now we have CSW right around <laughs> getting everybody to clap. The the universe well, is very strange. Well, what I'm worried about is you know he claims that he writes between five to eight papers a week, so him taking a whole day out for this conference, it's like we've lost an entire paper. <laughs> that's, that's another thing in this in this conference he has claimed that he has terabytes of analytical data of the functioning of the bitcoin network and a bunch of math papers about all the the, the nonsense buzzwords he's using he has been saying that for almost a year like he has been saying that since the future of bitcoin that he has this data and he's going to release it soon for companies to look at that he has all these math papers coming out. They're, they're, where are they? Because he's well, been promising them for a year. You know, like uh, somebody did, I remember somebody did ask the question, like, where did he come up with the idea of the 21 million cap? And he kind of just got lost in a ramble about alcohol. Alcohol, alcohol, that's where you come up with great ideas. So, yeah, that, those, math, uh, those math sheets we might, might take a while before we get the paperwork in on that. If he's just, you know. Alcohol is the way you get ideas, Satoshi. Hmm. And he's been churning out those analytics on that tool of supercomputer, right? That's, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, out of this entire conference, and I watched most of it, the, the only talks that were not just a complete laughing stock was Eric Voskul going over the functionality of Libitcoin which is like, I actually think that, you know, everybody should go watch that presentation. It is a very thorough breakdown of the, the library architecture and a node implementation. And it's actually more functional in terms of like speed than, than core right now. So as far as like people building, um, you know, backend services that, that need to plug things on top of a node, like you should look into that. And Kind of surprisingly, um, and I'm sorry, I forget her name right now, but but that uh, that woman who's who's usually talking with uh, Daniel Krawitz on his channels, you know, her her talk was actually not that bad. It's kind of like a anthropological breakdown of um, the difference in mentality between investors, traders, and gamblers. And you know, that's aside from that, like the, the conference was the funniest thing in the world. It was just nonsense after nonsense. Yeah, man, I really, uh, I caught back and caught the tail end of it. It was just like, man, I wish I could have uh, caught more of this because I bet there was some comedy gold in there and maybe one or two smart people. So I'm, I'm going to go back and check that out. Yeah, my, my greatest comfort was seeing some of the clips of the audience when they had a chance to speak. And uh, it just, it's like a really 
really bad like uh, startup uh, meetup where everybody is there to just pitch their startup idea. They like they have nothing, but they're just trying to to get developers to work on it for free. And uh, it's like their first or second year sort of in the space. They have they're they're like some junior employee at some software company, and now they're going to be the CEO in some startup, and they're pitching their thing. It was totally that feel. So my comfort was most of the people attending are scammers themselves. So it's just like this big scammer, you know, cesspool. I don't, I don't know how many like actual good people are going to get, get stuck by it. There it is. Uh, you said that miners went orphan blocks with fraudulent double spends in the context of unconfirmed transactions. Yes. I agree that would be nice, but my question is, are you saying that miners would do that now or that we can make that possible in the future by making changes? And two, in such a case, how do the miners know for sure which of the two transactions is a legitimate one? I don't give a shit. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I mean, like, what the fuck? Like a critical question. To, to solve the problem that, that is impeding, like actually using zero comp in, in the secure way they claim you could. And what's air quote Satoshi's response? I don't give a shit. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like such a reasonable question to ask someone who is supposedly Satoshi. So like for him to respond like that and everything in the whole speech itself. Yeah, it's just a, it's a brash human being right there. Yeah, so Rick, you said it was definitely the Peter Risen or Rizun guy. That's what nobody's saying. Asking that, that was Cookie Monster. <laughs> yeah, so that that if anyone's not familiar with who that is, if you look his name up on Twitter, Peter Risen or Rizun, um, he's made comments in the past that uh, Core should be euthanized. That the Bitcoin, the main Bitcoin blockchain, has a genetic disease or something he uses all of this eugenics language and it's really creepy so for him to be the reasonable person in the room is really scary yeah just so. a, a small glimpse of the story over there it's just like uh yeah i need to go back and watch a little bit more of it but um yeah it was definitely one of those conferences where i don't know just sort of sit back and watch and it's a good thing to talk about gives us a couple of laughs Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, this is just heavy speculation on my part, but like it's sitting in the chat box. Like I am entirely convinced that like half of the people in the chat box on YouTube were just sock puppets. <laughs> I mean, like all of them were just like in concert, like, wow, such amazing stuff. Like everybody using exclamation points to exaggerate things all like it was literally like what one person would say something and they would all just instantly start riffing off of it using the exact same buzz phrase or keyword like it just felt so ridiculously artificial and i i really hope roger doesn't find out because i think someone will lose a job there was lots and lots of censorship in, in, in that troll box on youtube like so much censorship <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I could only imagine, but I definitely think that troll box would probably have a sock puppet or two in there to kind of reconfirm what people are saying, just so people that aren't even in the room, like we're saying, that just sort of come into the stream and are watching, saying, this is Satoshi, right? They do see that contention there still in the chat. 
So I don't know. Hopefully not that many people are still buying this argument now that it's been like a couple of years since he hasn't been able to cryptographically prove anything. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can stop talking about him being Satoshi, but he says he's going to be around for another 30 years. So it's going to be a long argument. Yeah, it's it's I don't think like the people who support Bitcoin Cash like have any idea how any of these systems worked. I mean, um, I, I forget uh, his name. I think Vera Veramol or something. The, the guy who published the uh, the terabyte block paper is, is like claiming that it would cost twenty five thousand dollars to run a terabyte block node. And I mean, for anybody who's actually read Jameson Lop's uh, breakdown on serving SPV users, it's uh, if you if you just uh, Google uh, Jameson Lop CoinDesk SPV, he he has the article published. He only projected out to like eight gigabytes. And when you take into account the level of redundancy you have to have for like no data loss to be able to concurrently access information to serve SPV users, you are talking hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars just in storage at like eight gigabytes. <laughs> like those cost at terabytes. The idea that you can you can set that up for $25,000 is outright delusional. And these people just bought it. Like there was somebody in the troll box who literally thought that if a miner mined a double spend, you could just blacklist them as a miner. Like, like you will somehow be able to find out for all time that it was that miner who mined the double spend if they mine a block in the future. Like, like you can just like click this miner can't mine anymore. <laughs> like, like most of these people literally have no clue how any of this system works. Like the only reason we can identify miners right now is they choose to put a message in the Coinbase identifying the pool they come from. You just stop doing that. You have no clue who's mining what block. You can't blacklist anybody. You can't ban a miner. You can just orphan an individual block. Like, like it, it, was, it was seriously like I was in the twilight zone all weekend when I was watching this unfortunate but you're the rarity out there man like there's like there's a few of us and like our viewers here and i'm sure like a lot of us in, on you know the twitter space and stuff we get our laughs about it but yeah some people are really buying this stuff so that's where it is kind of like the laughs kind of become upsetting at some point but like uh i don't know like he's saying if he's around for this much longer talking all this crap we kind of gotta take it with a grain of salt if we're gonna be fighting it for this long mm -hmm. i mean you know to get my last rant in it out of my system about this and then you know i'll bow out or we can move on whatever after but um like when, when they look at the, the terabyte block figure they they calculate from that that would give every person on the planet 50 transactions a day okay like uh, on the blockchain now they also presented a ridiculous idea of literally pretty much using the the blockchain as an emulator to build a, a computer on top of it and perform general purpose computations which would explode the use of block space they're not thinking about machine to machine payments they're not thinking about micro payments on the internet there was also a presentation about putting like train tickets on the blockchain so let, let's sit back and realize that at a terabyte and it would cost hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to run a node just in the gigabyte level. A terabyte block is only 50 transactions a person 
per day. Now you look at all the train tickets, all the gift cards, all the Chuck E. Cheese tokens, all the idiots running these ridiculous air quote Turing complete computers on top of Bitcoin. You look at the micro payments, you look at the machine to machine payments. Like this isn't it's this is not workable. Like this cannot work. And the fact that, that these people are just looking at all of these things like you can cram all of this into a blockchain and it somehow still works it can still scale it can still even be able to serve spv users it, it's it's fucking delusional I mean, like... yeah it's it's really really dumb i mean not uh, all of that's true and you also would have massive centralization if you had uh, that much data because just the the speed of light is only so fast the cables are only so thick uh there's only so many electrons you can push through them at a time and uh or beams of light you know if you're doing fiber but uh yeah at the end of the day there's just some like limitations that the universe offers us that won't allow for terabyte you know blocks so it's really really stupid um and uh, I'm kind of glad that at least the people that are getting suckered by these guys have to be just some real arrogant pricks, right? Like if you're going to invest in something that CSW is pitching you without like asking your nephew that has, you know, some knowledge in computer science or something or, you know, gosh, I, the, the arrogance that people have to think they can just come in and like pick a winner and then dump their money into it, like, you know go for it. I know that it's been ingrained. I know that like diversification and they've, they've suffered so many decades of, uh, uh, government education that's made them stupid but all all that's true but at the end of the day you are what you are and if you're that stupid i i just i need you to become less influential in the world as fast as possible and i think sometimes i think csw is the perfect medium for that like like he's as important maybe as satoshi <laughs> like we just we really need that son of a bitch to just impoverish anybody do, dumb enough to listen to him as fast as possible so hardcore man well, more broadly, I think, I mean, I think it's kind of become clear that the whole like big blocker versus small blocker dichotomy is kind of stupid. I think it would be more accurate to say it's this is a data compression versus, let's say, enlargement. <laughs> the data compression versus space expansion or enlargement uh, groups. I think that's a more, that's a better way to distinguish it because so far, it's mostly been defined by the people who want bigger blocks. They say, if you don't want bigger blocks, that means you want small blocks or smaller blocks. But actually what some of what most of the small, the so-called small block people want is data compression. They want to make the data smaller. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, that's <clears throat> like, that's another straw man. I, I know I said I was going to shut up. I can't help myself. <laughs> but another straw man that was being consistently presented like at, at this conference regarding like the bitcoiners point of view that we're just trying to make something that's like a stock that you just invest in and i mean it's it's the most insane straw man in the world like both of us uh, unless literally everybody in the bitcoin cash ecosystem is doing nothing but trying to scam people out of their money and i do there, there's some in the ecosystem that that have that as a goal but not all of them but ignoring the scammers, both of us as groups are trying to build money. The differences are in how to technologically approach facilitating transactional throughput. 
And they consistently feel this need to just lie and falsely frame the other group, for lack of a better word, point of view as we're just making a stock that people invest in. And I mean, it's the most nonsensical shit in the world. Like if, like, okay, like let, let's put all like my views aside, like the shit talking I usually do. You want to try and facilitate throughput this way. We want to try and do it this way. Go at it. Have fun. But the minute you start actively lying about what the other group's intents are or plans are, like you, you've just lost all credibility because you, you, you're not actually trying to bolster or lay out a roadmap for your way of facilitating transactional throughput. You're just lying and trying to, to smear shit. You, you're not pointing out a flaw in the technological approach. You're just falsely framing the entire attempt <laughs> i mean it's like if 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 there are any actual genuine people in in that community like step up like actually uh, approach things from here's what we're doing and building not here's this lie about what they're doing like you know when i sit here and i shit talk bitcoin cash i don't sit here and say that they're intentionally trying to build a one world fucking like Rothschild currency with a chip in everybody's hands. No, I point out why I think the technological route they're taking is ridiculous and not going to work. <laughs> and when it, when it comes to shit flung the other way, I never see that. I just see lies. I don't see critique. I see lies. <laughs> and I mean, I, that, that goes to show how like strong their convictions are for their own path. Yeah, it could probably sound like maybe we are getting aggressive on some of that stuff just because, like, I guess some of us do see that sort of natural centralization in the way it goes and, like, Roger wanting to start a country and all that stuff. Like, it could sound like it to people just coming in the space, but I think, yeah, for the most part, like, the arguments is, like, definitely one-sided when it comes to technical arguments. So hopefully, uh, you know, people are listening to that side of it. Well, so far we've spent so much time talking about Craig Wright that I think he would all he would consider all of us fans now. Right, right. <laughs> let's, uh, let's move on and talk to some, about some other great people in the space. Real quick, <laughs> screenshot <laughs> to my haters. If you don't like me and still watch everything I do, bitch, you're a fan. Oh man, wait, <laughs> we gotta move yeah. on. We're a fan. You we gotta to, move wait, on. Wait, 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 on, wait, wait. You have to scroll down to reply. Scroll down. Find crypto graffiti. It's got to be somewhere. I hate. Oh, come on. Where is it? Where is crypto graffiti? Prioritizing. There we go. There. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) So it's the same quote in like a teenage girl's room, a mess on the phone. I thought I thought this one was funny too from Calcab. I just orphaned this bitch and the clip of him flipping off the audience at the presentation. Alcott's always out there giving us a laugh. Good job. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I guess, I don't know. It's... <sighs> Let's just Every... Let's not be a fan. Let's drop him. Everybody else done plumbing the stupidity of the conference, right? Ready to actually move on to the news. Yeah, I don't ever want to talk about Bcash again. All righty then. Switch, please. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, story one up. This this would not be a fitting um, season finale if we didn't mention Coinbase doing something stupid. So you're doing something stupid. They're uh, they're in talks to buy Earn.com, formerly 21 Inc., which started as a mining company, then pivoted to a micropayments company, then pivoted to shilling scam coins and charging people money to send you an email. And why in the, the absolute hell would would Coinbase sink money into this company? I mean, oh, this like, isn't a tremendous waste of money, not at all. Like this company is one of the biggest failures <laughs> as far as startups in this space. Like they they could not mine successfully as a competitive business. When pivoting to a micropayments platform, they dropped that. They didn't contribute anything to Lightning Network. They didn't look into Lightning Network. They didn't consider Lightning Network in their business plans. They dropped that. And now it's it's an email box that, that charges people money to contact people and spams everybody with free shitcoin token airdrops that they do. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I was looking at this and just thinking like, it might be just like evident of like how hard it is to get real like somebody that knows what they're doing in the space and that's been experimenting for a while and like maybe they're buying earn.com just to get the uh people behind it into coinbase i don't know because like you're saying it doesn't make much sense other than kind of reminiscent of just silicon valley gobbling up anything in the sector that's sort of growing in any which direction and um sort of adapting it into their system and seeing how it could work. It's like the only thing I was thinking about it. Cause you're right. It's like earn.com and uh, the 21 computer both have been kind of uh, failures there on the end, as far as like what exactly they were going for and what exactly the success or failure that was. It's just, yeah, it's something where it's kind of been left just hanging in the air. And um, I'm sure Coinbase just like, you know, they've been hiring people like crazy supposedly. And so if they're looking for people, I just started to think, well, maybe they're just gobbling up these companies because they're the only people that they think have uh, the proper intellect to handle whatever they're that's, trying to work on. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. But I mean, like, what kind of talent's even over there? Like, uh, yeah. what do they hope to grab? Like, why, why do you go talent hunting at a company that has failed to develop a single reliable business model, despite being one of, like, the older startups in this space i mean like there's a reason that the mining computer is called the butt box now <laughs> yeah i think that was jensen right yeah the, the thing i'm thinking is that it's really obvious this is a bad business model right um it's going to be so easy to enable that it wouldn't even surprise me that you know we've got this like week of uh laps that blockstream is putting out and they're just they're just, like every day is just like a business that sucks that we've been putting up with for uh you know way too long um and it, they've just built that app on lightning right so like y'all's not y'all's uh but uh gosh what is the or esteem it, right? Like, it's so stupid. It's got to have its own token just to be able to sell content. Like, come on, that's that's this really dumb business model. Um, 
but uh, but I think one of the the uh, lightning apps that Blockstream put out was you know it's probably it's probably mostly just to to help people understand the potential, but uh, is a little app where you can pay to get access to uh, the text based content. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if in the next few days they release another app that uh, that allows you to uh, to respond to. Um, or, you know, to do the earn.com thing, right? Like pay people in order to respond to you or pay attention to you. So, uh, yeah, I think they're pretty screwed. So they might as well sell maybe a talent acquisition or whatever, because um, they, they obviously are completely mistiming the market. Actually, JW, this uh, this might uh, make you, <laughs> this might trigger you, but actually Steam has three different tokens, not just one. They have Steam, Steam Dollars, and Steam Power. Mm, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh no! You got me. You got me. You guys are just depressed. I was. I was already a little down today, and so far, every story has just been a kick right in the crotch. So I uh, forgot. We got the And then Janine brought it back up. I was. I was done with that, and now I'm triggered again. We got the lap coming up at some point. Uh, how many tokens are involved in Ripple? Is there like seven that I don't know about? There's a lot. They ripple can encode any token you want on it. There's no Stop point it. for the ripple token. Stop it. People are mis and and you know Ethereum. You know, I, as we see, that has more than the Ethereum token. Oh God! Oh Lord! When ERC two hundred and five. Yeah, it's like I I really hope that this article is um wrong in looking at Balaji coming on board to Coinbase because, I mean, if there's one person out there who is a worse choice to put in any like, influential position in Coinbase than Brian Armstrong, it's Balaji. <laughs> oh, there will, there will be extraordinary claims for, for months, like, on end, if that's the case. Oh, man. Yeah, but it's like Coinbase, like just just stop. Just just stop. And one last time for the season. Come on, Coinbase. Come on. Mm -hmm. All right, well I guess uh move along to the next one. Bisk. Bisk. Use oh. Bisk. Yes. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. All right. Well, the SEC is uh, sticking its nose further into things. Um, it's not as uh, not as bad as all the ICO subpoenas flying around, but they are going to be digging into hedge funds that are involved in cryptocurrencies over over the next couple months to kind of see how they're handling things. Um, kind of get get these hedge funds uh, input for. I guess, regulatory framework and how they're going to handle things. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, that that big money inflow might kind of stagnate for a little while because, uh, you know, it's <laughs> people aren't usually all gung-ho about something when regulators start sniffing around, even if it isn't in the, the tone of stop this immediately. It's <laughs> that's still opening yourself up to... Uh, you know, unclear risks as far as how they're going to react after the fact. And two of the big things that they were going to do is 
kind of look at and make sure that what they're advertising to their their shareholders as having been purchased is actually what they have possession of in terms of crypto assets to make sure that like you you don't have a hedge fund out there telling people they're investing in bitcoin and then running around with the money like day trading shit coins to try to make extra money on the side and then make sure that their uh their kind of risk profiles and disclosures are accurate so i mean yeah, it sucks. The, the regulators are sticking their nose in everything again. But I mean, at least from how <clears throat> this article from the Wall Street Journal paints it, it seems to me like they just want to make sure that there's not really blatant fraud going on in any of these hedge funds. And I mean, as long as that's all they do, I, I don't think that's anything to freak out about. Yeah, I was looking at the story thinking that, you know, it might just like you know, it's going to make these hedge funds make sure they're investing in stuff that, uh, you know, doesn't have that risk tied to it too much. Like where we start to see maybe utility tokens being developed and that real 1% that it starts searching for in order to actually, I don't know, just like, yeah, get rid of some of these uh, ICOs where it's just like, you know, definitely 100% scam material. And so if it gets, uh, it might limit the inflow to those things, but maybe it'll just like, uh, it'll get more money into the things that are for sure. So uh, I don't know, like it uh, could have definite effect on Ethereum and all that. I don't know where these uh, alts are going, but it's like, uh, I feel like, yeah, it's a, it's pretty bearish for them, but overall for like the legitimate things, I think that's pretty good information that it's gonna clear those sort of things up to where people are going in the right direction. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if it's going to be a net positive or not, but like for my own peace of mind, like my own my own selfish quality of life, if uh, if the regulators start coming down hard on these apps that can be come down upon by regulators, we'll have a lot less of this stupid stuff to talk about, right? We won't have Bcash running around. We won't have, uh, you know, guys running down the aisle, pumping up some coin that they have total control of. I think, uh, you know, again, it might not be the best in the long run, but at least in the short term, my, my mental health will be better. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Bcash is going anywhere because of regulators. I mean, I think there's a pretty clear cut line at this point between like things that function more as commodities without any actual central issuer kind of holder of obligation versus things that are directly issued or obligations held by like identifiable groups or individuals and sadly i don't think bcash quite makes the the cut for being defined as the the latter no i don't, I don't think they do either although there is you know you could argue that that there's like two guys that are in control of it i think pretty effectively that it's not like bitcoin but but it's an ecosystem of scammers right there's there's like this whole you know uh symbiosis between these shady icos like look at all the people that showed up to that conference it wasn't people that were necessarily selling an altcoin um well, i mean the water's been flowing long enough, you know, it, it's it's carving the rocks out slowly, but surely. And, and you know, underneath, we can see that there's a path and there's a way forward. And JW, I mean, there there is a section where uh, the host uh, actually went around asking people why they were there and what they were doing. And almost none of them um, 
had any answer related to Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash. It was all blockchain this, blockchain that, token this. <laughs> like I totally, we're gonna those. we're gonna put pet food on the blockchain so that nobody can steal your doggies' kibbles. Yeah, it's <laughs> totally. I mean, once once the uh, once the sort of I, I mean, I hate it, right? Like I hate that we are all so stupid and we've checked our brains out. And so we really need to be protected like children, but that's the state of things. So once the, once daddy comes in, right, once the government gets a little bit more involved, I think there will be a lot fewer, uh, fewer of these scams being pushed as aggressively. There'll still probably be like a few big ones, right? Like we'll still have ripple. Whoever pays off the regulators effectively is still going to be able to, um, shill their garbage, but but it, it's going to be a lot fewer people. Uh, there's going to be a lot less like just constant uh, competition. So we'll be able to like address maybe Ethereum and Ripple. I don't even know if Bcash could make that cut. I think they might be too broke for that. But um, but yeah, you know they won't eliminate all of them. But uh, but I think it will eliminate quite quite a few of them and quite a few of the ones that are providing funding and liquidity and just like constant advertising for all the stupid money. <sighs> I mean, I think I mean I think it's really going to be a while before that stuff starts burning itself out, JW. Because I mean, like you can go after like people directly issuing a token or like raising money through an ICO, but I mean I think it's going to be a lot harder to kind of justify going after something like Bcash or you know like Litecoin or anything that is like bitcoin where you just kind of throw the software out there and then there is no identifiable issuer there is no identifiable operator like it's dude all, you, all they would have to do is start enforcing the howie rule because if you're out actively promoting a security right like an investment opportunity let's not even call it a security they could if they wanted to i mean that's pretty flexible they could absolutely apply that to you and and because what happens in most of these cases is selective enforcement anyway um if they decided that they wanted to enforce upon csw or roger ver they would absolutely do it so it's it really is just like a matter of like political will i think there's not enough will or there hasn't been and it's moved slowly but with all the SEC going after those ICOs, I would be pretty nervous if I was if I was Roger Ver or um, uh, freaking Satoshi Light. What's his name? Uh, Charlie Lee. I mean, I would I wouldn't be sleeping well, but uh, but maybe those guys are. And you're right. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen like in the next two months. Um, I think that it's going to be a slow process. But I still think you know maybe in a year or two. Um, those guys will be uh, will be having a hard time. Even even Vitalik, I could see him having a really hard time because he has promoted the hell out of that. Uh, there was a token sale, an ICO. It is centralized, right? Like he's proved time and time again that it's nothing but a database. If I was a regulator, I'd be all over his ass because there's a lot of money to take there and a lot of good legitimate arguments that it should be taken. So I don't know. Um, we'll see. Uh, I don't know what happened with the SEC's budget, but I heard that the CFTC's budget was actually reduced this year. So, yeah, you know, all, gonna... all the more reason to go cash in. <laughs> maybe that's what we're starting to see. Maybe they uh, maybe they have some Bitcoin they're hodling onto where their budget is in. Uh, they might have been cut, but it's like making up for it somewhere else. I don't know. It's uh, some behind the scenes stuff going on. 
I mean, I just, I just don't see it happening, JW, because once you step across that line, like everything is a security. If you look at like, <clears throat> you know, just semantical twisting. And I mean, at that point, like they they would start going after everything. And I how, mean, once how you is, draw, how is eGold uh, different than Ethereum in your mind or Bcash? No, I mean like things like B, because Bcash is like there is no like central point of issuance. There is no okay. Well, let's person talk out there who is going. I am issuing this as an obligation to redeem it. Like there is just a, a, an asset floating out there. And I mean, even with Ethereum, I don't see this really happening at this point because like the, too much time has gone on past the the initial offering and the presale like the, i really like even in ethereum's case i think like there is the potential for vitalik to say something and people go no and i mean when, when you start looking at the the fact that there is no central point of obligation to redeem anything i do not think that jurisdictions will just start selectively declaring things that kind of fall in that category securities unless they're going to go after everything like I don't think they're going to play selective enforcement there. They I don't. I don't know, man. I mean, they play selective enforcement. You do realize they play selective enforcement with like drug trafficking, right? <laughs> if they'll play selective enforcement there, I don't know why they wouldn't here. But yeah, I don't know, yeah. man. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. The name of the game, right? Risk mitigation, or so the uh, the story goes. Yeah, I think it's I think risk mitigation is marketing for uh grabbing uh grabbing yeah, stuff I mean, likes. Like, <laughs> JW like the, things like drug trafficking that 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 is so much more nuanced than just they don't like this guy so they go after him. Like that goes into uh... like tactical intelligence gathering, being able to gather information. Like there is a whole slew of reasons why they won't go after somebody in a case of something like drug trafficking, not just where we don't like this guy. Like there, there's an actual tactical thought process behind that. I didn't, I didn't say there wasn't. I just said it's selective. I said that they pick and choose who they go after. They don't, they don't enforce the law uniformly the way that uh, a lot of people think it works. And so I have no reason to think they wouldn't not uniformly apply the law in, uh, in cases of securities. And as far as the timeline goes, I mean, I think four years, three or four years might be typical between executing a scam and the SEC showing up at your door. It's not like six months, man. So I don't see any reason to think that the like the the clock is ticked too long. But but you know, I don't know. We'll we'll see how it plays out. Janine. I uh, just kind of froze. Do you hear me? <laughs> yeah. Uh have you guys seen the the movie Sicaro? No, it's that one. Because that's all about how the government um, cooperates with certain drug cartels in order to get rid of other ones. Oh yeah, it's very apparent. Like, I mean, like what it was, was mid two thousand, some point in time, where it was like used to be the Gulf Cartel and the Sinaloa Cartel. Now it's just the Sinaloa Cartel and the Gulf Cartel is barely non-existent. It's definitely a pick a winner situation. Yeah. Because what they what what the government prefers in terms of like law enforcement with drugs is they prefer to for there to be one cartel that they can kind of manage that doesn't get too out of hand and they know they know roughly where the group is organized. If you have a bunch of them operating at once, like you're dealing with a lot more people, you're you're not able to crush them as easily when you absolutely need to. Like they do not like having multiple ones. They like having one really big one so that they can like work with them. 
But yeah, it's also like inefficient for their operations. If they are working with Sinaloa and then all of a sudden the Gulf cartel is powerful enough to knock out their trade routes. So, um, yeah, it was pretty obvious, like apparent that like uh, that was one of those. Um, I mean, like even with the Fast and Furious, you know, we saw that they were handing weapons over to the Sinaloa cartel. And I mean, like the Gulf cartel well, I mean, kind of disappeared. And like, I mean, we know that the CIA has been playing these games for decades. So why wouldn't they play that right below our border where there's a lot of economic incentive to do so with all these cowboys in the system? I don't know. To me, it's like, yes, yeah, I remember that movie now that you're saying it, Cicero. Like it was like a, I wanted to catch it, but it was one of those things where it's like it's like, you know, it's going on to the extent of like, I don't even want to watch a drama about it because it's so depressing that that's just the way it is. <laughs> Yeah, the, the way I look at it is basically there's a tax involved in some of these illegal activities. Like if you want to sell alcohol, you can either pay the tax like, you know, above the table or you can pay the tax under the table. Right. You can when you get caught occasionally, um, you can grease the right wheels. You can have the right relationships with law enforcement um, or you can just flat out just pay the fines and penalties and, you know, do your time. Right. It's just it's another business expense. And if if the taxes become so high, like on something like, like alcohol, I think it's maybe 150% or something ridiculous. But if it was a thousand percent, um, the, and, and the, uh, the amount of jail time that people have to do and the fines and the confiscation remains the same, you know, you're going to see a lot more illegal alcohol traffic, right? So it really is just a tax, um, with a different name. You call it a fine instead of a tax, right? Um, and uh, with with all this uh, all the stuff that's happening in the space right now, they really haven't started taxing it yet. It's been kind of small and weird, and it's new. And they never jump on stuff like that right away. They wait for it to develop and see what's going on. You know, they're not exactly the most innovative and creative folks around. Um, but once there's a nice big pile of money, they start taking their tax. And I really think that they're going to start taking their tax from everybody that can be taxed, and that's everybody like Vitalik that is a throat that can be grabbed or like Charlie Lee that's a throat that can be grabbed or the Ripple guys. I mean, I think they paid a fine already, right? Um, yeah. So I think, it, it, like, I'm not, I don't think I'm proposing anything crazy here. I'm just saying that they're going to start getting hit with those taxes. And I think because that's a significant expense in this sort of, the sort of stuff, right? That in one way or another is trying to replace government monopolies. That that tax tends to be a pretty significant expense. So most of these guys aren't going to be able to afford to pay it, and there'll just be a lot fewer of them that we have to deal with. Yeah, I can I can understand that point. Like, um, I think we recently saw the SEC or C like there was some uh, House committee hearing where the needle was threaded to make sure not to call Ethereum a security, and I'm sure that had a lot to do with a uh, under the table tax. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of my point is like, you know, they've drawn this line between like a commodity and what they consider a security. And it seems very clear at this point, looking at all the congressional hearings, like what uh, lobbyists or other experts testifying have said that they're very much pushing Ethereum on the commodity side of that line. And I feel like unless... Like unless regulators start completely rethinking how they've drawn that line fundamentally, <clears throat> like I don't see things moving to one side or the other. And once they start really fundamentally rethinking that line, I think that is something that everything in this space is going to have to worry about.
Except don't for worry, Bitcoin, <laughs> because there's no throat to choke. And it'll just make it more and more obvious that there was a reason that this was done anonymously and it needs to be distributed. And, and uh, eventually everybody's going to wake up and go, oh, like government resistant. That's actually kind of important for this. Don't worry, guys. Crypto Daddy will protect us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, as right. long as he's wearing his leathers. All right. All right. So uh, I want to slide along to the next thing from uh, Mr. Nick Sabo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting stuff here. Yeah, so I think he made a tweet uh, on March 8th, I believe, um, where he was responding to a paper that the Federal Reserve published that was supposed to be some kind of educational thing about Bitcoin and one of the lines that he disputed was that uh, the Federal Reserve claimed that traditionally currency is produced by a nation's government. First of all, that's a very interesting because the, even the idea of a nation state uh, has only existed for a few several hundred years. Like, it's it's not it's not really a current. It's a very current concept. It's not really that old. So the idea that you would say you know a nation's government produced a currency. Um, that's, that's definitely not true from that standpoint. Uh, but he ended up writing a whole blog post kind of summarizing some of the things that he had in the thread responding to that paper, um, of all of the private currencies that have existed throughout or several of the private currencies that have existed throughout human history. Um, so that was pretty interesting. Um, mm -hmm. also the role that, yeah, the role that metal played in a lot of the coins specifically, but also, like it made surprise people to know that there was also banknotes, like not bank banknotes as we know them today, but like you know pieces of paper that were used, you know, in exchange for value, uh, as a you know stand-in for actual metals, precious metals that were used as money. Mm -hmm. I mean, like if you look at this, like this, <laughs> this is literally issued by a mechanics bank. Like, you know, you've had trade companies issue different currencies. And I mean, like one of the things I found most interesting, if you break this down, is um, in the Industrial Revolution, you actually had factories minting their own money because the royal mints were not like issuing low denomination coins and like lost precious metals. So the, the, the factories that were paying people flooding into work there were literally minting their own money to, to pay their workers. Right. And then like, you know, shells and things, when you really go back very far in history, like there, there is a long history of money that, that was not established by government. Yeah. And uh, I, don't, I mean, like, I'm just thinking about that, like, you know, factories that mint their own coins and everything. I just thought about like uh, when I was reading this and, you know, it just like reminds me of like the coal mines and the tra railroad. Like whenever those were being developed, like new towns would spring up and the railroad would give you the currency that you would use in town and the coal miners, the same deal. But I think that's whenever it started to really get to where the uh, coinage that you were using was of absolutely no real value. It was just sort of like tin or something, but uh, it was like required we use. Add, uh, we had to add subsidies. I mean, that happened with corn production as well. And, you know, just on and on and on and agriculture and other areas. And a lot of these subsidies, milk production, right? That, that still exists today. 
And that all affects the CPI and everything as well, by the way. Yeah, the overall narrative that governments always want to apply after the fact is there was a need. Nobody knew how to how to solve this problem. It was really, really hard. And we were all just starving and incompetent and couldn't figure out any solutions. And then the king showed up or the president or whoever, and he was just a genius. And he just saw, oh, well, if we, if we do this, then we can solve this problem, right? If we issue currency. We want to have all these competing dollars and all this craziness and bank runs and all of these problems, right? And so from on high, you know, he gifted us this piece of technology that solves our problems. But that's never really what happened, right? Like you could apply it to the post office, right? Before there was a government-sponsored post office, people did actually uh, get letters to and from each other, surprisingly enough. But uh, but governments really love to control communication mediums. So they created a monopoly on letter carrying and said, if you carry a letter and uh, you compete with us, we'll put you in a cage. And then they opened everybody's mail and looked at it and used that to control society. So every time you hear like the government had to do this, just look back in history. And you, like Janine said, you don't have to go that far. Like. In the first sentence, he opens up with nation states. What well, have always nation states haven't even always exist, so they certainly haven't always provided a solution to this problem. Um, but yeah, any anything that you think the government has done for you, you could probably go back and find out it was provided for much better before they quote solved that problem. Money is definitely not an exception to that. Yeah, and I also because I just thought of something. This this whole idea of you know ICOs and the the idea of companies like releasing their own internal currency like that's not even new if you consider all of this issuing coins and stuff. Uh, the ICOs are just uh, it's a lot easier to you know make a contract on Ethereum than it is to like get the actual materials to mint coins and then distributing them to people physically, but. Even the even the concept of ICO via a company for fundraising isn't really that foreign either. Yeah, mm -hmm. like uh, one of the things that I thought was also interesting in this uh, post from Nick was um, the way he talks about that, like the way that Bitcoin is different was they're talking about the metal layer of settlement and the way that like, uh, you know, in all these previous iterations, like there's been these gatekeepers as far as like this uh, layer of settlement between metals. And like, that's where uh, Bitcoin is kind of like this new revolutionary thing where uh, we have this open ledger of settlement and, um, you know, anyone who participates can. Uh... I don't know, I yeah. guess you, like, uh, I don't know, I'm just trying to remember if that was actually in this blog post or if I'm re like remembering something else he said in a tweet, but um, yeah. It's uh, it's definitely in the history of money and Bitcoin and where that is. It's like a layer of settlement has always been controlled by a few gatekeepers. And it's, a, it's definitely a revolutionary thing to where we can all participate in that layer. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, to, to kind of go back to what Janine said, like as far as like a company, like company script is something with a huge history. You know, like uh, I mentioned, uh, Zabo was pointing to like factories in the industrial revolution minting their own coins. Like in 2008, the Mexican Supreme Court ruled that the Mexican subsidiary of Walmart had to stop paying its employees because they were paying them in Walmart script that was only redeemable at Walmart stores. So like that that policy 
or way of doing things isn't even completely gone in the world today. Yeah, man. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's like one of these things where I was at a meetup the other night trying to explain like this, you know, this, what is money question and stuff. And it's like a real meat and potatoes, social contract that you can't just be like sort of locked up in any one sort of sector to kind of grasp this picture. And so, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's understandable that you can get lost in it really easily. And these systems have been around for a while and it's hard to readjust the way we think about these things and even step outside that system and think about it like this. It's, it's one of these things where since I've been in Bitcoin, I've really kind of been surprised to see how differently people think about things such as um, the way we trust these things and value and all that sort of interesting stuff. And so yeah, it's uh, Bitcoin is one of those next iterations of money. And it's, yeah, it's one of those things that I think will definitely be revolutionary. That's why I'm out here doing all this stuff. So it's uh, it's always neat to see a, a post on this. I picked up a book on the history of money. It's an interesting topic that I think uh, is, you know, something that we'll, we'll be talking about Bitcoin for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's like, it's really important to kind of step back and understand like all of this when you look at bitcoin i mean like economics is it's not the simplest thing in the world if you haven't like settled down and like grasped the axioms first but like once you actually get those axioms under your belt like it's really just grabbing the right tool when you're looking at something and i mean it's like it really is critical to understanding how all of this works to at least have those basic axioms under your head. Yeah, and also keep in mind, like, because probably I think that the like the 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 role of private currencies kind of finished with the the rise of centralized nation state based currencies, but actually there still are a bunch of private currencies that operate around the world besides cryptocurrencies. Like one of them. In, in the UK is called the Brixton Pound, and that's around the area of Brixton, and it's like a local currency that is distributed between people, like shops and stuff that are in that area. So, <laughs> oh my God, she took me. Hey, stop distracting me. Janine didn't have her pretzels this morning, so she's not, she's not able to multitask like normal. <laughs> I can multitask. That's how I was reading the chat at the same time I was talking. <laughs> so so rude to the audience. Sorry, guys. We we're just, yeah, now we have to explain. Any, it, so, anyway, uh, so anyway, we were talking private about currencies. <laughs> <laughs> private currencies still exist. They're still working. People use them, and they especially came back with Bitcoin because it's a private currency that operates on a global scale. No nation controls it. Um, so that's, that's, that's the really different thing. Cause most private currencies, um, prior, prior to now, they operated on a local level because it was just, it was so much harder to coordinate and it was more based on, you know, people's personal relationships with each other or a specific company. Um, but Bitcoin is one of those, uh, now it's a private currency that operates at a global level. That's not just local. So that's the big difference. Oh yeah. It's, uh, it's revolutionary, like you're saying. 
Mm -hmm. it's a constant battle for me on Twitter trying to help people understand that money has to be one thing. Uh, and even as I say that, a lot of people I'm sure that have been listening to me for like way too many hours are still like, no, it doesn't have to be one thing because I like my altcoins and I want to have lots of them. And uh, Andreas said that every Girl Scout troop is going to have its own altcoin and we're all going to be happy. But no, money is one thing, and that's what money means. It's a unit of account. It's a medium of exchange. It's commonly used in a, in a region and within a group of people. Um, and the only thing that I would say you have to grasp beyond that to get that Bitcoin is going to crush all this other stuff is that it doesn't really make sense to have a, uh, a regional currency when we're so connected globally now. It, it's fine to have a uh, have seashells within a, a few villages when you're out in the Pacific and it's the only people you trade with. But we have global trade now. We buy stuff from China as often as we buy stuff from Italy or anywhere else. And because of that, um, it just makes sense that we're going to have a global currency. So that's the that's the name of the game. That's what everybody's fighting for, especially the altcoins that are pretending that they don't understand that. They know that that's what they're fighting for. They know that they can't exist unless they beat Bitcoin. Um, but they don't want to admit that because it's it's a laughable uh, possibility for all of them at this point. Um, so yeah, that's that's the end of my intellectual rant. But now I feel like a jerk because I had an inside joke. So what I what I was making fun of in the in the troll box was uh, was Shinobi was saying uh, Zabo in a, in a different way, and so I was making fun of that. And then Janine was bragging about being the only person that could say. Uh, Guacamo, Zuko, right? Guacamo, Guacamo. I said it, and I, I was explaining to to Janine that she was wrong because I talked to Guacamo and he told me it's pronounced like guacamole, and uh, she's wrong. We're gonna have to get him back. I don't sorry, think he literally meant you. <laughs> I don't think he literally meant you pronounce it guaco. I think he just means that's how you pronounce the GI sound. And I'm totally lying. He never said anything of the sort. I so. knew it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Serious land, though. Well, well. Before, like, uh, do you have something to say about Zabo or moving yeah. on? Yeah. Okay. But like you know, to, to kind of go back to like what you were saying with the Brixton Pound, it's like that's that's what money is. It's those social, like bonds of trust. And I mean, like that's like as far as like altcoins competing for Bitcoin, JW, I they're not going to win because they all seem to just be completely ignoring that money is trust. And like, that's Zabo's entire like rationale for his speaking to like social scalability. Like the more you expand the user base of a currency, the more you need to solidify that ability to trust it, to be able to validate it and make sure everything's functioning as it, as it should. And if you don't, look at a blockchain system from that point of view in terms of scaling throughput of maintaining that ability to validate and trust it, then you just completely decohese the, those bonds of trust, which are what make money. Yeah, totally. The way that I, I say it is um, people are going to use the thing that works best. When it comes to money, you want something that's really hard to steal and easy to use. So yeah, that's Bitcoin. Um, it's nothing else is even trying to be hard to steal. Everything else is more than happy to be easy for any government to steal. So, and if they're saying they're not, they're just lying, right? Like uh, Monero or something. Yeah, and since we're talking about um, kind of monetary policy and stuff in 
general, there was something interesting that I heard uh, Brett Scott say several months ago in talk where he was disputing the legitimacy of the term uh, store of value. And he said that it doesn't, you're not like, it's not really possible to store value because value is an intersubjective concept. Like it's not subjective in terms of the value is just whatever it is in some cases, like, you know, value is personal, but with, with money, that's a shared system among, you know, a group of people. So it has to be intersubjective. And um, he said that because value is intersubjective, you can't really store it because it's not like a tangible thing. And so he thought he was like debating whether store value actually existed as a concept. And I think I'm not quite sure, but I think the conclusion he came to is that store the concept of store value is more about people's confidence in the stability of their understanding of other people's value of a certain system. Yeah, so totally. it's more and about I... confidence, confidence and trust. Like that's kind of going off of what Shinobi said that money is about trust. It's kind of store value is about you trusting other people to reflect the same value uh, estimation that you have. Yep. Or totally. at least yeah. better. Yeah. The other the other thing that I say about money is it's the thing that's the easiest to sell. So if you had a you had a gallon of milk, you'd be like, well. I have to store it. Uh, there's costs associated with that. But at the end of the day, if I walked into a, a marketplace and I had five bucks in my pocket or a gallon of milk, which would be the easiest to sell to somebody, uh, money has to be the thing that's easiest to sell. So it, it kind of ends up being the best of a few different categories. Um, and in the case of like gold, it was the easiest to sell, but it wasn't the easiest to subdivide. So we had to compromise and add silver to the mix. And that was a real pain in the ass. But we don't have to do that with Bitcoin. Um, and it just, you know, it, it works as money because it was designed to be money, right? Like when Satoshi was thinking through electronic cash, he was aware of all of these concepts of Austrian economics and he could make reference to them constantly and very easily. So he knew that he had to make an asset that checked all these boxes and he did. Um, so all this other stuff just, you know, it's, it's dumb. Not for Bitcoin. All right, so you guys ready to move along to the titular story? Yeah, man, let's keep moving along here. Was that a reference to the well, Satoshi <laughs> conference? <laughs> you you can you can make it one, but I, I meant the, the one in the title. <laughs> I, 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 can, I can make a connection between the two. So two episodes ago, we 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 brought up the crypto influencer list, and I want to point out, like, obviously Nick Sablo just schooled like the entire Federal Reserve with this blog post. But he also he also kind of schooled uh, Craig Wright because Nick Zabo is number one on that list, and Craig Wright is not even on it anywhere. He's not <laughs> even in the top three hundred people. <laughs> like that's pretty bad. That must mean he's oh, wow. Satoshi slash ass. <laughs> that's really interesting. That's so he has so he has so few influential followers on Twitter that the algorithm said he did, he's not even in the top three hundred. That's really interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. encouraging. Yeah. I think even Veer and Jahan were on there too, right? Yeah. Veer, I think, was somewhere like between 15 and 20. Elizabeth Stark was ahead of Roger Ver. That's the only ones I remember. Hoddle was on there. Mr. Hoddle made it before it dropped off. There's some <laughs> justice in the world. <laughs> right? I was still right, surprised. So I didn't see any of you guys on there, but whatever. It'll It'll change. I don't want to be on that list, but on to the titular story. 
Binance is in talks to move to Malta after getting a warning letter from the Japanese financial services, as well as the equivalent of the SEC in Hong Kong, warning them don't be selling securities. So this, this is fucking huge news because Malta is one of those jurisdictions that I've been looking at for a while now as <laughs> you're in the perfect position to set yourself up as a crypto haven. Right, I like saw this story, looked at Malta on the map, and zoomed out, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that makes perfect sense." <laughs> mm -hmm. And I mean, like, they're in talks right now with local banks to be able to establish uh, fiat on and off ramps. Um, you know, they're it, it's they're moving mostly here because it's a it's a friendly regulatory jurisdiction, but also what I found most interesting is the CEO of Binance is literally been discussing a bill that Malta is looking at um, to kind of set up a regulatory framework for cryptocurrencies and, and set up uh, things like policies for handling ICOs. So not, not only is, is the business moving to a friendly jurisdiction, integrating potentially with fiat on and off ramps, but they're having a, a direct influence over the legislation that the Maltese government is trying to kind of establish to kind of get rid of the, the regulatory gray areas for any other businesses in future. And so, I mean, like this, this is fucking nuts. Yeah, I like, there's some, you know, like I said, I was looking at the map and kind of zoomed out and saw that. And then I did like a quick Wikipedia search just to sort of see the history of the area. And of course it dates to prehistory, but it has been home to the Phoenicians, the Carthaginians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Byzantines, the Arabs, the, Norm the Normans, the Sicilians, the Spanish, the Knights of St. John, the French, and the British. So um, those are some pretty powerful empires. And this definitely looks like a piece of uh, land that you can, yeah, protect your, uh, whatever you're trying to build over there. I, uh, I, I noticed a while back that Adam back, uh, has his, uh, has his Twitter location in Malta and, uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe lives in Malta. So if I need to uh, get out there, man, check that place out. Yeah. I mean, I, I, if those guys are hanging out at a coffee shop somewhere, I'm, I totally want to be there and just over here. But, uh, but the, uh, the thing that keeps me from leaving the United States is, uh, medical care like i've seen people cut their cut their ankle like surfing and almost die because they're hours well, and hours away from blood so it's like you you just return to uh freaking early 1800s uh when you go to any of these beautiful places in france it's, it's ac absolutely actually absurd. Ac actually jw malta is a medical tourist nation um Ooh. there's like a there's like a whole bunch of people from the uk that go there for medical stuff all right well i tell you so, what if they have if they have plenty of whole blood of various types on hand then i will probably go check it out they will they'll be the, like the first one to meet that criteria like there's nowhere in south america even though like you have skyscrapers and stuff that has blood on hand it's it's really amazing just trying to avoid south, losing your south, blood buddy no it's, no it's it's well, just a, it's a fundamental yeah. Yep. Totally. Um, and I, I get that. And so it might be a little bit better. Um, I have more, exp uh, yeah, I just have, uh, I, I suspect that they're not, they, they also don't have it, but I'll, I'll do some research and get back to you guys. It's just, it's, it's one of those things that we take for granted in, in the U S 
Um, like for example, I know for a fact that, you know, Panama, big country, right? Uh, maybe it's a little bit backwoods. They don't even have blood on the, uh, on the ambulance for the, that follows the president around. So but like, hold up, JW, I got to like cut in <laughs> here, man. Like I'm a veteran in the VA system and you're talking about how great healthcare is here in the United States. And I'm just sitting here thinking about what I've been going through for dec- like a decade and, you oh, know, no, it's I a mean, disaster. like that, that thing's it's available. Disaster, it's available I'm- for you. I mean, if you have that ability, but like. You know, like when we talk about the general public and what's going on here in the United States and healthcare that is afforded to them, I, I don't know. First of all, know. Portugal and Malta are not in Europe; they're squarely in South America. And secondly, I'm saying that the United <laughs> States does. Uh, no, I'm just I'm joking. Uh, it's a Arrested Development <laughs> reference there. Um, no, I know I get that it's in Europe to uh, to Shinobi that's tweeting that out. But you, I think you'd be surprised how few developed nations that are relatively wealthy don't have uh, don't have some pretty basic stuff. Um, the United States is actually getting getting worse uh, with medical care, from what I what I'm able to understand. And I wouldn't say that it's great, yeah. but that is just one of the things that I noticed in my uh, in my travels that is now on my checklist because I almost saw somebody die because they cut their foot surfing and there was no think about like when let's say you cut your foot surfing they give you the blood they patch up they sew you up but then what do they do they give you those pain pills and then they put you out there and hope that you're going to start feeling better like that. I mean, like, I don't know. I just feel like it's not great. You don't even have to worry about that. It's not really big blood. (laughs) I'm just saying it's like as someone that's been through this VA system and all this stuff, it's like, really, I see like preventative healthcare is like the only way to go. I mean, like if you can avoid losing the blood, try to like, that's the best thing to do. And um, just like preventative healthcare, if the, if the, if it hits the fan, you know, it's always going to be a situation of you better hope, you know, hold your butt and pray because you could be in the middle of the woods in the United States and it doesn't matter because then you're still going to die because you lost all your blood because you didn't have access to it. So, oh, totally. Uh, Yep. After that experience, I was definitely more conscious of uh, going out to national parks and stuff like that. Um, you know, I still do it, right? Like, it's not like I'm going to avoid hiking to the top of a mountain and being five hours away. But I'm also aware that I could probably get a helicopter to come pick me up before I bleed out. So there's just a lot of those little things that, uh, you know, that keep me from moving to Malta. Let's but it is also like, you know, that coral could cut that artery. I mean, like, it could just be such a, that's like, that's where I always put those things is like, I try not to think about it too much because it's one of those things that's just so out of my control. I mean, like it could just happen the right way that it doesn't even matter. It's also big, like it's one of those countries that mm, its economy is heavily reliant on tourism. So they probably have a lot of helicopters, even if they're not owned by the hospitals. Yeah, that's true. Try to get one to pick you up. I think you might, you might find that it's not quite as easy as it is in the U S yeah, I mean, like, like, granted, there's definitely like a more solid infrastructure to get people the emergency care that they need, most likely here. But I mean, like, I just, I think that the availability of, you know, good health care is probably an option at most, uh, most nations like Malta, where it's like sort of a economic center of uh, the nation of the developed world. And I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. My my guess, not knowing, my guess is that the average income of somebody in Malta is maybe sixty percent of the average income of the person in the United States. And if right. there, there's a huge advantage to stuff like that, right? When it comes to medical care, you want to be where the rich people are, 
And there's lots of little subtle things that I've just observed having spent time in these other places that you wouldn't think of until you need it. And then you're like, I'm going to Google oh, check you because we're relatively poor here. Ah, shit. This yeah. Sucks. There's, there's definitely been some cases of some tourists that just like, uh, got, you know, some terrible bug in India and ended up in a hospital and died because, you know, that infrastructure wasn't there. But, um, yeah, I think that in these like global, like we're starting to see like, yeah, there's like a global class and like these certain areas of the globe where there's a lot of money. And I'm sure there's like, you know, some people to provide for those people, not everyone and like not the infrastructure for everybody. And it's um, I don't know. It's one of those things where uh, you're kind of giving up one thing for another. I mean, like people go down to uh, what is it like Guadalupe, Guadalupe Guatemala for uh from stem cell treatments. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, it's not a really developed nation or anything, but it's like people go down there for that because it's available there. It's, I, I, yeah, I don't know, like uh, exactly how we jumped on the Malta and healthcare and all that sort of stuff. But I think I was just saying, if any, I think we can just keep else. going on this. <laughs> if anybody is in Malta and they know that Adam Back and Hans Hoppe hang out together, and that blood is available, you know, within okay. like 15 minutes. Let me know. I want to come. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, like Malta, it just seems like a pretty cool in the history, context of history and like just like powerful nations that have used it for uh, a place to conduct business. JW, you've emphasized blood so much. So I'm kind of wondering if you're a vampire Wookiee now. <laughs> 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 no, but if a dog gets his foot cut, he can bleed out. So That's maybe maybe there's something there. All a right. very minor cut on a dog could be life threatening. All right, we're getting well. See, my, <laughs> see my... into the weeds. I wait out of the weeds. Out of the weeds, guys. <laughs> we're we're only an hour and a half into the show, and we've already covered like thirty percent of the stories. So I don't know why we should try uh, some weeds. Only thirty? I thirty percent? I think it's more than that. Are you okay. sure? No, I don't know. I wasn't looking. Well, I just want to point out that I prefer cold countries. So if my foot ever gets cut, I'm going to stick it in the snow and then they'll stop the bleeding. Hell yeah. Right. Everybody now evacuate, evacuate the weeds. We have evacuated right, right. Where are we the going? weeds. And we're going to Japan. We're, we're going to Japan where, where the Yahoo... Japan subsidiary is, is buying uh, a share in, in an exchange, and, and then they're going to take the technology and launch a new exchange later. But Japan is where Satoshi is right now. I don't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, uh, you know, this I think is, is something to kind of pay attention to because this this kind of thing we, we've seen before in Japan, and I think we're going to start seeing more of it in other places. I mean, like, really think about this. Yahoo's subsidiary in Japan is buying shares in the exchange BitArk, and they're pretty much going to take all of that technology and spin off a, a new exchange at some later point. Like, Yahoo. Like, a, a, another major tech firm, and one, one that's very international compared to a lot of the other companies in Japan we've seen kind of get involved in the crypto space is starting their own exchange. I mean, like, you know, how long until we see companies like 
Apple, like Microsoft, like Google start deciding shit. Like we need to get some kind of stake or share in in companies in the space because like the the big American tech giants, they, they pretty much stayed out of it. Like they, they haven't really gotten involved in, in anything in this space. Like a, a lot of their, their venture capital uh, firms, you know, shareholders ha- have been kind of dipping their toes in, but none of these actual companies have exposed themselves to the space yet. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, really a sign of the times because like yeah, a few years back, it would be lucky to see a mention of Bitcoin in the news because of, you know, our infighting or the price or something like that. So to see like, you know, major companies like Yahoo talking about uh, getting involved in creating an exchange is definitely, you know, sign of the times that things are moving forward in a direction that's going to, you know, we're going to see a lot more of these. And I mean, like really the major tech companies, I think I saw something about Google investing in some sort of blockchain solution for something recently. So, I mean, like they're, they're definitely making their way in. Yeah. Because, you know, Google doesn't already run pretty much any service you can think of. They have to run their own blockchain now too. I was literally, I was literally commenting about that in DMS. I was like, Google runs an email service. They run a social, well, they did run a social network that kind of failed. Um, they run a, a video sharing service, email, kind of social network, but not really. They run a search engine. They run a browser, all of these things. And I was like, then I see, I look, go back to Twitter and, oh, okay, they're now making some kind of blockchain thing. So now they're now getting into blockchain territory. Also, I would never, I would never trust an exchange run by Yahoo because as, as everyone should remember, they were giving pretty much all, they had like a backdoor in their system for years for their email service. So no way am I using an exchange for my Yahoo. They had to find a profit like somewhere, right? So they were just selling people's data. Like uh, the whole Google thing is really, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's kind of frightening to me, you know, like, um, here at Boulder, I've been like trying to do some things, just talking to people about getting crypto involved and stuff. And everybody seems really hyped up about Google and where they're going and everything. And I heard like a real dystopian thing where somebody was talking about, oh, yeah, in the future, you know, you'll be in your autonomous vehicle just riding along, but you'll have to pay to turn the ads off in the windows. Ah, it's just like, God, what are these people thinking? Like, so at some point we got to step back and reanalyze what we're doing here because it's getting to a dystopia of like that. Yeah. Like it, these guys are coming in the space, but I don't trust them. It's definitely a sign of the times, but it's not like a hundred percent positive. There's definitely not even close to a hundred percent. And it's something where like, I think we should take it seriously and put strong pushback on some of these things. I think it's a good thing, man. I mean, it is a big company that has a big brand name. It's always good when there's more adoption of Bitcoin. I, like if I was going to buy something from Yahoo, um, I wouldn't expect that they would they would screw me, right? They've got they've got a big enough brand name to where I would expect they wouldn't rip me off. So I think that's good. Um, I think even though they're probably going to end up doing a bunch of altcoin garbage, you know, at least they're in the space uh, and it's getting closer. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as like the dystopian, uh, 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 you know, alien or whatever that, uh, what's that? Ah, dang, it's escaping me. Same guy. It's like the same sci-fi universe as alien. It's, uh, 
uh, anyway, as far as like the constant advertising and the future just looking like crap, I think that's not likely. Um, the, our quality of life has just continued to get better over the last hundred years. I don't see any reason to believe that that's going to reverse. And people get annoyed with advertising, so they'll they'll choose not to have it if uh, if they can afford to. So, um, you know, Lightning completely opens up the possibility of rebuilding the internet on micropayments. I would certainly rather pay it twenty bucks a month. Uh, to not have ads, have a great experience, and also pay for my internet connection. And I think if you know you do the math with all of the overhead and the fraud, you know, click fraud is just crazy billions of dollars. Um, I think that would probably work really, really well. Um, like, be more profitable for everybody involved. So, I just, I'm optimistic. I mean, like, I'm optimistic about us moving forward, but at a certain point, I start to think the technology becomes a hindrance. Whenever we're talking about, you know. Are we like, are we taking into consideration like the fact that we are American and like we're supposed to have freedoms and liberties and privacy and these sort of things? Like, that's where I feel like we kind of have to step back and um, sort of just reanalyze what we're doing here and make sure that it takes into consideration those sorts of things. Because um, if you just start creating this autonomous system, this fully autonomous thing, because one of the things I hear here is, oh, well, we've got to reach out to the other side. We've got to figure out a way to understand the other side being democrat and republican and everything and like at the same time i just see these policies being put in place that are just divisive and i mean like uh yeah i don't know yeah don't sorry for the rant no it's all right i mean it, it does tie back into the kind of cypherpunk philosophy right like don't uh don't get involved in politics. Don't try to understand the other side. Just build better tools and people will use them and the whole conversation won't happen anymore. So you don't even have to pick a side. Just, you know, you don't have to decide whether you're pro taxation or pro the Fed or any of that. Just decide that you don't want to see your wealth destroyed and buy some Bitcoin. And, you know, I didn't have to convince you and uh, we're, we're all on the same side again. Right. But if we like, I don't know, if we let it go to that end and just break, I feel like we're going to lack the adoption that Bitcoin needs. Like it's going to be, you know, like, of course, the, the rich get richer type deal. I mean, like if uh, if we don't sort of like make a concerted effort to sort of like uh, at least include this in the available options, then, um, you know, like, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be autonomous until like the market has chosen and like you know it'll be i don't know that's where it'll be like as far as what we're trying to do here in america i don't know it's like like what used to be like a you know equal opportunity and all that sort of stuff where now it's like you know there's just such two different levels like that can't be done so i don't know Kind of a weird place to be in this discussion i don't even know what the story was we started off with no you're, you're just struggling with uh completely giving up on politics which is one of the most <laughs> i don't uh, like well one of the things is like in the chat corey is saying something about like you know people are this and we're insects and we're all you know a virus and and like i've been to afghanistan i was a first responder to hurricane katrina i've seen humanity at some of its worst and that's not the case. Even at those places where it's at its worst, you'll find humanity and you'll see what humanity really is. And it's people sticking together and doing something to where we can get out of a bad outcome. And um, if you look at the world through that lens. No, I don't. I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm totally on the opposite side of things, right? Like, I, I don't think that I think that the average person doesn't want to hurt anybody else for no reason. Right. I think the average person 
they saw somebody that was in pain would feel a certain amount of pain themselves and would respond by trying to help out. Right. Um, even in freaking Afghanistan where we're supposed to think that everybody is really an insect and we should just burn them all, you know, with a nuclear bomb so that we can grow poppies or whatever. Um, yeah, no, I'm totally, I'm totally with you. I think humanity is, you know, it's not, it's, it's definitely not, uh, what I would like it to be, but it's not nearly as dangerous and violent as politicians make it seem. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they say like, you have to be really, really fearful of your neighbor. And the only person that can help you is me and give me 30 to 70% of all your stuff every month. Right. Um, so there are solutions. They're just not political solutions. Right. And I get you in the fact that like 95, 99% of the world you're at, you know, the political solution would never work. But like, I, I, I feel like I'm at this place where these people think they're, you know, they've got this like very intellectual cutting edge tech mindset that that's where they're at. And like, uh, you know, if we put these ideas forward, then, um, you know, maybe that humanity's there and they can see like, you know, look, this is, uh, this is all coming from a, you know, a generation thing and they're, they're not, they need to take it seriously. And yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, reaching out on that political level is not just uh, nonsensical. I think that we could, you know, garner greater Bitcoin adoption and help save some lives and stuff. I mean, but it's just like, yeah, that's probably like my not rosy colored outlook. Trust me, I don't have that. Like I start the every day out with dark colored glasses on, but I look for the things that are going to bring back some light into this life. And uh, that's where these efforts are. That's where I'm doing that stuff. So. Totally. Yeah. The future is bright, man. I agree. All right, man. Sorry for the rant, guys. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to, I'm going to bring an opposing rant to the table. Um, no. I <laughs> opposing of what? <laughs> I, think, I do not think the future is bright. I think it is a lot less dark than it could be if things like bitcoin succeed if people actually continue improving the technology we use but <clears throat> dude the media lies to people constantly there are now deep learning algorithms that can do a better job of mapping carrie fisher's realistic face to a cgi representation with a single graphics card than a multi-million dollar rendering farm can do you can now filter things in or out of live footage as it's happening to distort what is being presented to people. We are literally a year or two away from living in 1984 in not being able to trust a single thing that you see, whether it's live footage or not. We are a year or two away from not being able to trust video footage or evidence of things in courts. Things are going to get very fucked. That all they, sounds good to me, man. That all sounds positive. Back, but <laughs> things are going to get very fucked and confusing before Remember, they Remember, there so are CCDs hidden inside your LCD panels nowadays. Like, you know, check the patents. That shit's uh, super secretive. But, uh, yeah, you know, no cameras on the side of the device. The actual, you know, the progression from Xbox uh, Live, that, that not the Xbox Live, the Xbox uh, Connect system. Well, that the, the integrated the CCDs, the 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 camera capture device in the back of the LCD, in between the uh, the pixels. Like, come on! It sounds too bizarre. It sounds like it's just an insane just leap into into bizarro land. This is this is a reality we actually live in. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, no, things are. I'm not saying everything is 
uh, better. I'm saying overall it's getting better, right? Like fewer people starved to death this month than starved to death uh, six months ago. And that's going to be the case six months from now. And uh, there's, you know, there's some scary stuff that you guys are talking about. And believe me, I'm like, I'm totally with you that this shit could take a very different turn and we could, we could be in a scarier place than we are right now. Uh, which is, you know, one of the reasons I'm working on stuff like this. Um, I'm motivated to avoid that right. possible dystopian nightmare. But um, but the one thing that I would say you should keep in mind is that all of those scary pieces of technology, we all have access to those now, right? Yeah. Like the, the 50 years ago, if you spent enough money, you could have absolutely framed somebody for murder. You could have absolutely created film footage that no... Um, no reasonable expert could tell the difference and would have at least confused any jury. If um, if that technology gets democratized and we can't trust video footage anymore, that might be okay because we shouldn't have been trusting it in the first place, right? Yeah, and I mean, so. I love a lot of this technology. I mean, a lot of it's just putting the proper mechanisms, like eliminating the proprietary nature, which prevents people from examining the validity of videos and such like that, you know, like doing this the right way means everything it, it means we don't shoot ourselves or blow our legs off further down the road we need to make sure that this stuff gets employed the right way yeah and if you assume yeah. if you make just a couple like assumptions right like forget about all of the things that would require research just assume that the average person is more generous and kind than the average politician and then look at the reality that the average person, the gap between the average person's power and the average politician's power is shrinking. That means that things should tend to be better. But I mean, like it goes so far for, for... courts and like evidence. It's like people have to make announcements to everybody. Like there are public figures that have to get up and speak to large groups of people. And all of like, you can't trust any of that after this stuff really permeates out there like you communication like not, becomes distorted on a societal level like you're not an idiot for wanting a smart fridge there's convenience there there's convenience for having a little tablet there and being able to use that as a tv start your pandora on it you don't need to put a tv in your kitchen or some shit, right for a lot of people you know in a business workplace and places like that it makes perfect sense but when you can't trust the stuff and there's no way to actually verify the trust there and nation states are demanding that this software is employed on every single device they can, like our, in, in our cars and the safety features are a backdoor means to get tracking and, and the ability to like remotely drive you off the road in your car. Same as the TVs, like here's this stuff, you know, if you put this stuff here, like we can get our backdoor and we can get our cameras in there and we can ship that off to China or wherever and, and start spying on people or people right in America or heads of corporations or you know, it just, it, it's just, it, it leads us down a terrible path. Yeah. And I just want to be clear on this. It's like, I, you know, it's like everything right there is like, we're not going to be, you know, you know, Star Trek, everything's peaceful and 100% perfect or, you know, um, 1984, like, and that's, it will be somewhere in between and the thing that we're doing here and the things that we're working on will hopefully guide us toward a, brighter than darker future like just to, you know i don't think the end goal is either one of those all bright or all dark like uh we're gonna be somewhere in there mm -hmm. yeah take the good with the bad but it's a it's a constant battle you know constantly verifying that this stuff is doing what it says it does that's half the battle and a lot of people aren't doing the diligence 
to evaluate whether a product is of a certain quality or if the software runs in a certain way or executes as expected even. Like the, those are the guarantees that we need and those are the guarantees that we're just not getting. Mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, slide along into a positive thing coming, I guess. All of the goodies Blockstream is spitting out this week. <laughs> like uh, JW kind of mentioned this a little earlier, but uh, so far Blockstream has released three different apps that function using Lightning Network. Um, the system called File Bazaar, which would allow you to sell for micropayments any kind of uh, document, like a video, a text document, a photograph, pretty much anything that uh, the big content producers uh, on places like YouTube create. Um, aside from that, they have created a uh, Lightning publisher for WordPress so that you can build in lightning payment or lightning payments into things like your blog or any other traditional website content you can produce. And last, Nanotip, which is a micropayments lightning tipping app. So <laughs> if they keep this up, hopefully by the end of the week, <laughs> I think we're going to have uh, apps to accept payments for pretty much any kind of <laughs> independently producible content on the internet by the end of the week and i mean this this is fucking you know like people who think that blockstream is doing nothing uh open your eyes <laughs> the things are finally pouring out of the spigot so they just released another one because we were talking about craig wright so long uh people that were productive had time to build an entire new application awesome uh, <laughs> what's so, this uh, one this uh, allows you to uh basically charge for access to an api so you were saying like i think they're eventually going to release something that allows allows you to charge for anything that's exactly what this is so my guess is they probably use this api in the background on some of their other stuff um but this is totally awesome i mean this is really cool this is the kind of thing where you could have a wi-fi access point and you could um, pay for access to the, an internet connection um you could uh you could you know pay for uh really anything that you can build an application and charge for. So really, really awesome. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll use this um, for for MathBot when I'm trying to uh, charge and pay out people when they solve uh, solve math and programming puzzles. So this is really cool. There you go. Maybe you'll be able to get that rolling out the door a little faster than you were hoping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I just told somebody I'm not going to probably get to it for six months. Uh, but now maybe maybe this will make it a hell of a lot easier. So this is freaking cool. But what I love is that every single one of these things just destroys like 30 stupid startups, right? Like uh, Steam is stupid. What's the other one? It's not y'all's. It was the one that y'all's kind of yours, yours, right? Another stupid startup that was dumb, poorly timed, jackass CEO um, that was, you know, pushing litecoin or bitcoin cash or whatever just devastated right like his business no longer makes sense because real good technology is now available and he was trying to force it with his with dumb business shit. never made sense i mean like it's literally just we collect a five percent fee on payments right now that's his business model what's like okay let's go into magical fantasy land where yours explodes well how are you going to handle scaling your server your content distribution like are you going to be able to pay for those like hosting costs based on five percent like are you just going to have to fine-tune 
like your percentage there? Like what's your business model beyond just taking a cut of people? What happens when people take something like BitTorrent or IPFS and just build a decentralized distribution aspect and take payments directly? Like that that whole like building a business model around that is it's freaking retarded. Like the only thing that's valuable with something like that is the network effect, which he has to bootstrap from scratch. When something like Twitter or, or Facebook or fucking WhatsApp like drops micropayments into things, they're done. Like people just use that instead. Totally. No, you're absolutely right. And uh, and now the API is freaking sitting there. So if Twitter wants to use it, it's ready to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, yeah, man. Like... Sorry, I was just like was gonna say like hell yeah, the laps thing, and I'm excited about it been um you know always you know interested about this lightning network from years ago so to see like you know it coming into beta and like laps and all this stuff like it's great stuff to see mm -hmm. i mean you know it's just like get the things built get them out there and then when people actually start coming in buying bitcoin wanting to accept Bitcoin, to hold Bitcoin, all of the tools for them to actually do this, they'll be out there. Like it's, it's get the road built. And then when people actually show up, it's there for them to walk down. Alrighty. So who's ready for the disappointing news? Oh no, we've got some disappointing news. What is it? What is it? Welp, um, Chelan uh, County in Washington has followed um, the, the East Coast city, whose name escapes me, example, and established a mining moratorium. <laughs> right, I guess it's like uh, there's just such a rush to these areas where there is this cheap power and, um, you know, they're kind of just sort of left uh, wondering what to do about it because uh, it's starting to raise their rates of electricity and so they... Yeah, they throw these moratoriums out there to figure out what to do. Wait, what's that? It says they pointed. Go back up a little bit. No. They. <laughs> why are you not going? They also pointed to health and safety concerns for the residents, pointing to rogue Bitcoin mining operations that need to be examined. What? Well, I mean, rogue? that's to, to be, you know. I think the government needs to mind their own damn business, but I mean, I don't think that is a totally unfounded like concern because it, it, when you get past more than a machine or two, like you're talking drawing more power than outlets can provide. You're talking now you have to actually start tinkering with the electrical layout and things that there are actual like legitimate concerns about fire hazards for. So that I do get. Yeah. But I think that the more interesting point here is if if you look at the, the review process they're setting up, anything that uses over five megawatts in capacity is pretty much being put under a microscope. And I, I think pretty much the gist of what's going on here is the interest in establishing new mining operations is exceeding their normal expansion as far as uh, electrical capacity. <laughs> so like they're they're starting to see more interest in mining than they can actually provide in new electricity as they actually expand things. 
yeah, this is how monopolies operate. Like they don't, they don't necessarily appreciate additional customers or additional demand for their service because they're already screwing everybody over at the rate with which they want to screw everybody over. Um, so normally, you know, if it was any other service, if, if the demand went through the roof, they'd be like, great, we're going to raise prices and we're going to invest more and, uh, we're going to address this, you know, increased capacity, but, uh, but that's not what you're seeing here. So it's just a reminder of why you don't want monopolies providing anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this is going to wind up going the same way that it probably will on the East coast. Like they're just going to start charging different rates for people who are coming there for purposes of mining and probably kind of play with that uh, to disincentivize growth beyond what they want in the area. So, I mean, I think, uh, I think the wild expansion in all these areas with uh, cheap power is probably going to, to cool down a little bit and miners are going to have to get a little more inventive or uh, a little more resourceful when it, when it comes to looking for access to power. Yeah, it's time to just spin up a shoe factory and uh, you know make it look like you've got you've got some bins of shoes up at the front in case anybody ever swings by, but just have all the miners running all that electricity in the back. Yeah, just uh, Breaking Bad style, right? No, no, this is just a uh, just a clothes washing place, right? We just do laundry. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're just very we have just really old inefficient equipment. We just need you know gigawatts. Yeah, that actually reminds me of a meme that was going around for a while where, um, because you always assume, like, especially in the winter, if you're, like, in a neighborhood and the rooftop of some house is, like, not covered in snow, whereas all the other ones are, then you're like, well, why, there has to be a reason for why there's no snow, and that's mostly, like, because the house is generating more heat than usual, and that used to be a sign of, you know, some kind of drug operation, because you needed heat to grow the plants, but there was this meme going around that was, like, uh, looking at someone's roof that had no snow on it, it was like drug operation or crypto mining. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess uh, the the potheads are going to get some cover from Bitcoin. So uh, <laughs> use it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now they're going to get uh, their operations rushed in on, and they're going to be the legal thing in the future. And people are going to be like, oh, crap, it was just a pot growing miner. Uh, but uh, I don't know. in the interest of uh, getting food in Janine's stomach as soon as possible, you guys want to slide yeah. along? Yeah, let's keep rolling. We gotta get get some food over there. All right. Uh, the United Kingdom is establishing a new task force to go over regulations for the crypto space. That is a scary header picture. I know, right? Really? That is a sinister looking dude. Oh, by the way, Chancellor Philip Hammond, um, he was, uh, I believe, he was the one person who commented that uh, the, the United Nations saying that, you know, their ruling on Julian Assange being in an Ecuadorian embassy should be respected. He said that it didn't change anything. So, yay, United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, pretty much uh, just as, uh, yeah, blah, blah, new task force, uh, manage the risks around crypto assets. Uh, truly exciting market, but the, the scammers are spoiling it for everybody. Um, 
but there is uh, a David Siegel, I believe, uh, out of Zug, who is pretty much trying to push them in a direction of just throw the framework Dude. out and start from scratch. And honestly, I don't really know whether to look at that as a positive or a negative. Because, I mean, if, if you just kind of look at how these issues have been handled in the U.S., I mean, it's it's pretty clearly obvious that existing regulations are like they're applicable you you look at and classify all of these different crypto assets under different categories and existing regulation and how to deal with them it's it's all there already and you know there there's the potential if you start from scratch and establish a whole new framework to get things in in a better position but there's also the the potential to just fuck it up even 10 times more because now it's like, ooh, all the things we can stuff in here as opposed to here is the existing shit. Now, what does it apply to and what doesn't it apply to? And given the way that the UK has kind of been swinging politically over the last few years, I think it's a lot more likely that they just get excited over the new things they can stuff in there and wind up with something way more infringing or impeding than, than what we have now. Yeah, I would I would just say if you're if if you know you're doing cryptocurrency stuff, you should not be in the UK. Like, sorry, they have this whole IP bill thing that got passed in the last two years or so. So I mean, that's... if you like, you know, making <laughs> having free speech, right? I mean, come on, yeah. Like, you can't even say what you want on social media. I mean, oh, when's the uh, thought police come to the public? You know, when are they sitting at the bar stool? Yeah, I mean, I can. Uh, it has gotten pretty dystopian over there. I think that's uh, why y'all made a jump to get out over there in Germany. It's just. Uh, but I mean, like, yeah, we've seen these task force jump up everywhere now. It's like everybody's trying to figure out what to do about it, and UK's not different here. Oh, we're 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 not only in Germany; we're all over the place. We're like keep we keep changing it because Germany's not that great either. Yeah, well, yeah I've been to like several different countries. I can't even pronounce now yet. <laughs> Just keep on sliding. Yeah, I, but I don't, I don't know how important the task force thing is or not. Like, is it just some manager that wants to put his name out there? Because um, I'm sure that there was already a team of people that were that were looking at these problems. But whatever, I don't know. Yeah. By the way, Shinobi, if we have any Swiss viewers, I think you need to apologize for how you just pronounce Zug. <laughs> very clear that I can only pronounce things in American. I'm sorry. I apologize for the shortcomings, <laughs> but it's just it's just who I am. Okay. What's the uh, what's the proper pronunciation? <laughs> Zug. Zug. Yeah, that, we have those it's syllables, man. You can do that. You can say Zug. <laughs> Zug. All righty. There's no clicking involved or anything. We we can do that. Oh damn! <laughs> All right, two stories, two left. Oh, we got missing. one that's that's like nothing. It's a quick mention. Atlanta, Georgia, get your shit together. Ransomware was last year. How did you not get your shit together after last year? Like, I literally have friends who, who work in FedEx 
and, and it was like literally just freak out shut the computers down we're shutting the whole business down for for like half a day because we, nobody has any idea how to deal with any of this like how is that not a wake-up call to audit your security like if you don't some jackass is going to go copy and paste a virus out there tweak it to a different exploit and your shit's going to get owned unless you cough up some bitcoin like come on guys yeah this is one of those things where i mean like you hope people would learn and um I don't know. When I read this, I was kind of wondering, like, yeah, like they should have done something. So, like, I was thinking, like, I wonder if somebody in there, like, intentionally didn't upgrade something where they could do this sort of thing. But I, I don't know. Like, um, yeah, it's definitely something where, you know, if you're a uh, vital infrastructure and you haven't upgraded your system to handle the security of ransomwares, then you're outdated. Keep keep updating. I, I got to say, I'm just shocked. Uh, I mean, I cannot believe that uh, Keisha Bottoms wasn't on this. I'm pretty sure she's got time for that in between pole dancing or whatever. So you know, come on, Mayor, Kesha? take take care of take care take care of your city. Are you yeah, talking about Kesha? The the mayor's last name is Bottoms. Oh. <laughs> I don't even know. That's how it. That's all I got. That's the best comment I can come up with. I wonder if he's related to Foggy Bottoms, like the blues singer. Is it Foggy Bottoms or Soggy Bottoms? One of those like really old blues guys. Maybe that's how you know. It's like the blue hot. Those yeah, those this family's got some clout down there in the south. <laughs> the only thing I think of whenever Georgia is mentioned is that it's one of those states in the U.S. that uh, makes it illegal to uh, freely access the law. Like you cannot, you cannot have Georgia law on your website without permission from them, or you're going to get, there was a guy, uh, oh, what's his name? I can't remember, Carl something. Um, and he, he tried to basically make Georgia law public and they called him a terrorist. Wow. Well, I mean, that's great though, because then you can always or, uh, argue like uh, ignorance of the law. And you can say, well, it's not allowed to be public. So, you know, ignorance is totally acceptable in this. Yeah, I think that's yeah. I think that's really common outside Georgia, though, too. There's a uh, the database um, is proprietary that uh, with all of the um, court precedent. So, yeah, you can't get access to it unless you you are an attorney and you pay a certain number of dollars per month to access the law. So, yeah. I, wow. I, it's uh yeah it's one of those great uh great little things like you can't defend yourself it's yeah it's insane i was way off yeah. the soggy bottom thing is like from that know. freaking oh brother we're out there it's not some real blues legend <laughs> i don't know what i was thinking uh, all right uh, all right all right all right got one story left Everybody ready to freak out about it? Oh yeah, what what's going on? Oh yeah. Stamp is being sold to South Korean investors. Oh no. Everything's going to implode. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Mhm. Mm I mean, it's, you know, it's yeah. I mean, this is kind of something I have been expecting for a long time. I mean, 
if if you're running an exchange in this space you are either going to get your shit together in absolutely every way and get your system on par with legacy infrastructure or you're going to sell out to somebody who will or is part of that legacy infrastructure and so i mean they're pretty much uh it looks like going to be selling out for around 400 million dollars so that's pretty close to the poloniex valuation so i mean I think now seeing two sales like this, it should kind of give us a rough idea of kind of how buyers are looking at the valuation of things like this. And, you know, for all the people freaking out about like Bitstamp changing in Europe or shutting down, um, like that's, that would be a ridiculously foolish thing <laughs> as uh bit Johnny here on Twitter was saying, like if for some, for somebody in South Korea to buy out Bitstamp and not keep up their licenses in Europe and keep up their existing customer base who wants to stick with it would just be the most ridiculous thing in the world because that that license is the exposure to a customer base. That customer base is how they make money. So I really don't see any kind of radical changes except maybe in in different jurisdictions they expand to like for instance if they expand into south korea like they're going to obviously have to deal with regulations and so forth that they would have to there but i do not see any radical changes in how business is conducted in existing customer jurisdictions right now that would that would completely undermine the entire point of buying the exchange in the first place. Yeah, I mean, sometimes the motivation is just to buy the thing just to get the freaking license, right? Right. Ah, oh, man. So, yeah, I, I really hope um, their CEO sticks around. Um, I am not going to try and pronounce his name because I will butcher the hell out of it, but... He has been one of the few CEOs in the space who didn't just bow and bend over backwards to humor bullshit like the New York agreement and constant coercive attempts to push forks. And we need people in this space who aren't just going to bend over backwards, take a bribe and push some kind of shell game swapperoo with different blockchains. So <laughs> yeah, I, I hope you're sticking around as part of that deal, man. Yeah, that Sam's been around for a long while, and it's one of those that's just been like uh, throughout all the drama has just like maintained its, uh, you know, its ability doing what it does, and you know, like uh, yeah, I mean, you know, eventually, like you're saying, these uh, exchanges they're gonna get in line, or you know, like in uh, scan of sand, you know, purchasing this stuff's just like access to the license and the customer base, and it all makes sense, and you know, I don't see a reason why this deal would cause them to really start pivoting in a different direction. So yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I mean, like people take it in different directions. I guess some people are upset about it, but I kind of see it as understandable. Profits are good. They attract other competition. So if, um, if these guys were able to have a successful exit, that means that there's going to be more VC money that thinks that a, a, an exchange or something in the space might be able to be profitable and give them a good exit. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all, it's all good news as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. 
All right, so I guess uh, any, any last thoughts on the Bitstamp news or in general before we wrap it off? Um, just a uh, final thought, you know, like this is our uh, final show here for a couple weeks on our hiatus. And, um, you know, I know that sometimes we get like a little bit of flack for taking breaks and everything. But, you know, just like want to say like this is uh, part of the evolution of creating content here and like just we sort of have to step outside of it for a minute just to sort of analyze everything and if you can you know leave a uh comment in the uh sections below if you got some something you want to stress about what's going been going on this past uh season and something you liked or didn't like and let us know so we can um you know adjust accordingly and uh hopefully get uh some new content from myself uh during this break and uh yeah you know i really appreciate everybody sticking with us through uh through the season and through the shows it's been incredible evolution here on block digest and um we're gonna keep moving forward so uh we'll be uh it will be gone for a couple of weeks but we'll be back and uh hopefully uh better some you know some new content and some new ways to deliver things it'll be uh it'll be interesting all right jw shoot yeah um just to reiterate what rick said this is it's been fun doing the show uh it's the you know i don't know how many episodes i've done with you guys now but it's been it's been a blast it's uh cool to have you guys updating me on the news constantly um and uh i get a lot out of it so uh yeah it's been great um but if you guys can uh give us some feedback that would be awesome stuff that you like especially stuff you don't like or things that you think should change that's really the valuable stuff it won't hurt our feelings because we're putting a lot of time into this so if we're doing something that's kind of lame it would be great to know um and uh yeah i am getting close uh so my final final thought is i'm getting super close uh, i've got the domain name mathbot.com the website's not up yet but um we're still still working most you know we're focusing on trying to get the app done but i should have the first 10 levels done within the next like handful of days um software development's hard and it's really hard to schedule but uh but hopefully uh let's say within the next handful of days you guys will be able to play it check it out you know pass some levels and uh the idea is um to help help uh, really kind of replace uh public schooling and allow kids to learn math and programming in a way that's fun and is all about you know getting rewarded um rather than uh, kind of forced into it um so yeah Check it out. Uh, keep an eye on my Twitter account uh, for the next update with the first 10 levels. Looks awesome, man. Awesome sauce. And Janine, sideloading your thought. Yeah, so, you know, very hard the last few days to really organize all of the news coming out about how Facebook has been screwing you over over the years. But one thing you can do if you want to know what kinds of data Facebook has, you can actually download an archive. Now, if, if you're smart and you don't have a Facebook page, obviously you don't have to do this. Or if you shut, well, technically if you shut it down, Facebook still collected all of your data and they probably still have it, but you won't be able to access it. But if you were smart and never had a Facebook page, you can ignore this advice. If you have a Facebook page or you used to use it, you can log in at any time, go to facebook.com slash settings, and you will be able to download an archive of all your data. And well, if you want to know what kinds of data you're going to get, this is a page listing all of the things that they've been collecting from you. So the idea that you had no idea what they were collecting over the years. Um, well, they've kind they've been a little transparent about it. Um, it turns out that 
they may have been accessing text messages for any person that has had the Facebook app installed on their Android phone. Not sure how it affects the iOS um, operating system, but definitely if you have Android, probably that's what's happening. They basically access all of your text messages um, according to one person who downloaded their Facebook data. And this is all of the information they get about you. Your address, your other apps you use, your birthday, anything in the Facebook chat. Um, obviously, they also want run WhatsApp. Apparently, people are not real. They're like migrating to WhatsApp thinking, oh, it'll be safe there. It's like, oh, actually, it's run by Facebook. Um, so this is all the data that you could possibly find in the archive when you download it. So, um, yeah. I have Lots the Winkle Boss twins to crush this kid. <laughs> Yeah, so a lot of interesting things. Uh, if you want some advice on how to, you know, prevent some of those kind of things from happening, well, first what you need to do is you have to get rid of Facebook and never go back there again. The second thing you need to do is you need to install, uh, these are some really easy things you can do. You install things like Privacy Badger, which for any, you know, uh, Badger don't care people in Bitcoin, that's a good image to go with, Privacy Badger, um, where it, Eat the, the idea is that it eats the cookies that um, all of these websites uh, may be surreptitiously putting uh, in your computer. And uh, it also allows you to block trackers. So you can do that as well. And if you want to get an ad blocker, I would say you block Origin. All of the other ones are either cooperating with Google or they're just crap in general. So I would say you block Origin. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. All right, scam. Thought Janine, you, uh, you, you totally read my mind. Um, I was simply gonna say hashtag delete Facebook, hashtag install MathBot. <laughs> Thanks, man. Oh, and uh, read uh, C. Fadine's book, uh, The Bitcoin Standard. It just came out on Kindle. Nice, but don't don't criticize him on Twitter because he definitely does not like that. Oh, he loves no, it. Troll, he, he loves it. <laughs> Shit out of him. Safety, <laughs> eat your carrots. Eat your fucking carrots. Oh man. <laughs> he, he he enjoys uh Amir Taki's tears like I enjoy the tears of altcoin scammers. <laughs> Alrighty. And my final thought before we disappear for a while. Uh might be confusing for the audio listeners, but Illuminati confirmed. See you next time, guys. Have a great break, everyone. See you guys. Peace.